All right. Uh, good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater Podcast number 19. Uh, so the Art Eater Podcast, we're a weekly podcast. We're devoted to taking deep dives into uh, beloved video games with industry experts who are very passionate about these particular games. Uh, so today we'll be discussing the recently announced Shin Megami Tensei 5. And uh, with us is a very special guest, uh, Jonathan Kim. So uh, John is an excellent artist. Uh, he, he goes by the online handle of uh, Persona-sama, and uh, he's a uh, senior animator at Lab Zero. He's worked on Indivisible and uh, Skullgirls. Um, and actually, you know, we worked uh, together a little bit on Indivisible. Um, and then um, you, you also worked on the Scott Pilgrim game, right? The, uh, that beautiful sprite-based game. Yeah, that was actually my first job out of college, like nearly 10 years ago or maybe more. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, so I remember coming across your art like a long time ago, um, possibly even before that. Uh, I think um, I saw like your short film, uh, Godslayer, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. W was that like a student film? Yeah, that was my uh, second year Hell Arts film. Uh, it was my rock opera. Like I just uh, wanted to make something really cool and decided no one makes a rock opera. So I uh, jammed that out and... It, oh, that was way back when YouTube only had like a single front page. Like they would actually yeah. curate it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So both both my first year film and my second year film made it to the front page of YouTube, and it was like the the earliest, you know, being an e celeb. And I remember all my classmates were like, "Oh wow!" Actually, uh, my one classmate, uh, Alex Alex Hirsch, the mm -hmm. the creator of yeah, oh, oh yeah. Gravity Falls, Gravity Falls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, he made Gravity Falls, but I remember like when we went to the Annie Awards because um, the year Skullgirls came out, we were nominated. Uh, oh, nice. I went to, yeah, I saw him at at the show, and he was like, "Oh shit, John! Like I haven't seen you in so long." And then like he was talking to some other one of his voice actors, and he was like, he turned to her and was like, "Hey, this guy, he was on the front page of YouTube," and I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, this guy, you should ask him for about anything if if you need to know anything about you know being." digital and being on the you know e-celeb i was like oh wow okay i'm oh, sorry uh, you you were you were actually a pioneer i mean the, there wasn't much original animation on 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 youtube or really like around the net back then right like there, there not that many people were making like indie animation and um certainly like yeah, so uh, that that rock opera uh, aspect of it was very original and then um i i just also noticed right away um you know, like you, you were taking influences from like anime, manga, like Japanese games, but like really comfortably folding it into your own personal style. Like that, that was especially unique. Uh, gosh, over ten years ago. I know it's so long ago. Yeah. And also, thanks, man. Yeah, like back then, um, like actually, so uh, when I was in college, I started up the Mechafetus uh, Vizu blog. That's where people uh, might have known me. That's where yes, I that was it. Yeah, yeah, Mechafetus. Yeah. That that was where I found your art. Yes. Yeah, yeah and I I started it with um with Mariel Kinoko Cartwright and uh Paul Robertson, and then yeah, like we we were like the original. We the Vizu blog was like the original Tumblr before Tumblr. The you know the the artist blog with just yeah. images mainly. Yeah. So like a few years later, when Tumblr happened, I was like, ah, oh, I mean, guys are. <laughs> oh man. Oh, that takes me back. Yeah, I, I, I remember oh, no. uh, I remember stumbling across that, just being like, "Oh, this is so cool!" Like, people in America are doing like stuff like this together. Like, it, it's it's really awesome, you know? Um, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I I 
was uh, maybe I had just graduated art school at the time too. Um, mm. And uh, I, I had just started in games and like, um, oh my God, back then that was when like most professors would be like, hey, stop doing this this anime stuff. There's no future uh -huh. in it. And, and people were like, stop, stop doing 2D. There's no future in it. And I was like, no, oh my God. I'm going to make a future in it. It'll happen somehow, you know? Yeah, like, I don't know if uh, people realize, but, like, back then, like, art schools were really, like, you know, oh, you don't draw the anime shit. It's like, oh, really? Like, like uh, your portfolio would have to be scrubbed clean of it, or you have to, like, adapt your anime style to make it look a little bit more realistic instead, so that yeah. it would be palatable to professors and stuff. I yeah. remember, like, uh, some of my professors were, like, you know, ex-Disney, like, you know, they knew the nine old men and stuff, and they were, like, oh, you know, don't do the anime shit, and also, like, don't use computers that don't let the computer do the work for you, and I was, like what does that mean like you guys are geniuses but you guys you know so behind the times and like i was like right around the cusp of the time where people finally started like you know accepting it they weren't so harsh about it like i remember even the class before mine they're absolutely like a no anime policy which is like oh absurd to think <laughs> yeah. yeah like like the generation before mine was like at, at cal arts was like you know the pendleton war the, those guys so okay. I, I was like writing right on that cusp of that wave of uh, i guess cal art style which is so weird to think now because it was just like you know a couple of guys that are drawing really cool goofy styles whereas yeah. everyone else was like doing the super disney super realistic or not not really realistic but that super fluid style okay. so I, it's strange yeah. i mean weren't, weren't they watching anime too i always suspected they were watching like uh, yuasa stuff and you know kind of riffing on that a little bit oh yeah like it was great like in the dorms and well, not in the dorms, we all worked in cubicles, and okay. like so we'd be just be like twenty four seven working on our own projects, and like we'd just be sitting up there. And then I remember sometimes someone would like pull out a tape, and be like, "Oh, you know, I just got a new, I just got a yeah, a cassette tape of like a new anime or a new movie that came out or a new nice. Ghibli short." Or, and then yeah. we'd just like all like, "Oh, be like, oh shit, let's watch." Or like someone just be watching something, and if someone walk in, be like, "Hey, what are you guys watching?" Yes. I remember one of my one of my upperclassmen. Like he took over one of the lunch boxes. If you guys remember, a lunch box is a before digital webcams and stuff. It's like an old setup where that's how you took photos for your animation. It's like a literal. Yeah. Like, you'd have to like tap the buttons to yeah. take a single shot, and then that's how you compile your uh, films together. But anyway, yeah. he just took over one of the televisions and was like, plug that, plug this PS2 because uh, Shadow of the Colossus just came out. Oh, he was like, oh nice. yeah. Yeah, yes. I, I, I was waiting my whole life for this game. So we all just like watched him play for hours, and it was great. It's such a small, fun community, and we'd all like learn from each other. It was, it was really a lucky experience, even though it was really uh, fairly expensive. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, um, yeah. Those are my fondest memories of, of college too. Like those those late nights, just like discovering stuff together too. You know, and 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 back then it was there was a physical component to it. There there wasn't like you know, widespread BitTorrent and streaming. It's like, if you had a physical VHS tape of some new anime, like, it was amazing. <laughs> like, you know, no one else had yeah. it. Like, it felt felt like sharing, like, a secret kung fu scroll, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, fortunately for me, YouTube was just invented. Like, like yeah. maybe my first year, like, at the very end, it just came out. I remember thinking like, oh, this is so useful. I'd, I'd find like reference videos of like people walking their dogs and I'd be like, great, quadruped animation. Or like, yeah. you know, someone record like a, you know, a building being destroyed and I'd be like, oh, this is a perfect. I'd like frame through it and be like, oh shit, this is exactly the reference I needed. Or people were just recording, you know, dumb things like, oh, here's me falling over. I'd be like, oh, what a great reference. Like now we take it for granted. But back yeah. then I was like, it's, it's so blessed to have 
this new digital revolution of YouTube. God, it's, it sounds so strange to think about. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to take all that for granted now. Yeah, man. Okay, so let's um, <laughs> let's talk about. <laughs> so it, it's a th this podcast is uh, all about tangents. We're all all about going <laughs> off, off on these uh, uh, these weird paths. Um, but getting back on track, uh, we're here to talk about the Megami Tensei games. So um, right, yeah, I'd love to know about your your history with the games. So so first off, your online handle uh, was uh, is Persona, right? Persona Sama, and I think a lot yeah. of people assume. That that must be related to you know Persona, the offshoot of the Megami Tensei games, uh, especially because you you do so much uh, fan art. You've done so much great fan art of the Mega Ten games. But um, can can you explain where your name comes from? Oh man, so this is one of the weird situations where like okay, so way back in like early AOL days, like this is like '93 or something. Or, oh man, yeah, like um. You know, I was, I was thinking, oh, what should I use for an online handle? I don't want to use, like, you know, JKM60912237 or something. So I was looking it up, going, like, oh, you know, what, is, what does it mean to take on an, an identity? Because I was, like, you know, being a really deep, like, preteen, like, oh, like, I want to be, like, what does it mean to take on a handle? What, where are the, what, are the, the, what is this? And then so I looked it up, and I was doing research, and I was like, oh, a persona is a, you know, a facade you put on to show others what it means, you know, like, when you're, talking to someone else, you put on a new uh, character of sorts. So I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's a perfect concept, the Persona Non Grata. Mm. So I made my screen name, you know, Persona. And and then after, like, being online for a little bit, I was like, oh, well, you know, there's a game called Persona? I'll check it out. Well, this is maybe, uh, I think the Persona 1 for American PS1 was like 96, no, maybe 90, yeah, it should be 95, 96-ish. And so uh, I checked yeah, it out. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this game is so crazy. Like, you know, what's this, like, super uh, dark um, occult mysticism and, like, the, this uh, art style, the Kazuma Kneko art style. I was like, oh, this, this, is, this is perfect. This is the greatest game ever. And uh, the first game had such a strange, like, uh, early 3D rendering appeal. Like, uh, I remember the world map had this super clunky, like, it was, like, really simple polygon. Oh, and, yeah. like, it was so easy to get lost. But it was so appealing, and like the whole atmosphere of the world was like this super occult mysticism. It's so cool, and I, I fell in love with the series from the very first uh, Persona One. So that's the first uh, SMT game we got in America. Yeah. And then fast forward to like now, it's like Persona is now way more popular than uh, Mega Ten. So it's like it's strange. I kind of been overshadowed, like. My namesake has been overshadowed and taken over. So it's it's like if you named yourself like uh, I don't even know what the equivalent would be like if you named yourself Sonic, but then Sonic's been around for so long too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But well, like yeah, know, I've been a fan since the very beginning. It's um it's a happy coincidence. I think the the questions that you you were asking yourself as a as a young preteen are the uh, <laughs> questions posed in the game, right? Like, what yeah, is, what does this it's, mean? What is an identity? What is the face that you put on, right? Yeah, they, they took the idea of the persona non grata and applied it to like, oh, what if you manifested it like a stand, which you know we 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 know now is is a, obviously a JoJo reference, but back then I was like, oh, what a crazy novel idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, but I mean, I think um, like clearly it was you know very much inspired from JoJo, but it's it's also something that you kind of see. Um, in in actual real life cultures, right? This idea of like avatars, 
like like different yeah. of yourself. Yeah, I think they, especially they, they do. Like, uh, especially in like Japanese culture where they where it's commonly accepted to put on like different personas for what social situations you are, like whether you're with your friends or versus your family versus work. Like it's you have to put on, you know, a different appearance, and then like it's it's actually like looked down upon if you don't know what persona to take on for the situation. Mm, whereas yeah. Whereas in America, it's just like, you know, it's all about you. You got to be the number one. Got to stand out. Got to keep it real. Like, yeah, got to keep it real, even though you're being a jerk. But it's like, yeah. 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 Oh, but one thing I do want to mention is that, um, like, as an artist, I started uh, from the fan community, like, a long time ago. Like, I remember uh, I was so in love with, like, the idea of, like, dojin shoes and, like, fan comics. So, like, yes. even in high school. We yeah. print our own uh, fan comics. Like my our first book uh, in the fan group that that my friends and I made before Mechafetus, It was uh, I don't remember what we call ourselves. Uh, but anyway, our first book was actually like a Kingdom Hearts book. It was like a oh, nice. twenty-four page, yeah, like self-printed. Like we printed out on computer paper. Like uh, we all drew like Kingdom Hearts comics. Like my section was about uh, Sora. Uh, it was so stupid. It's like um. His kingdom or his world was uh, under attack by copyright, like Disney copyright. Oh. So, so the Mickey Mouse character, or like all the Disney characters, were getting censored, and so Sora had to like stop the Heartless, who were represented by the corporate, uh, corporate interests. <laughs> oh, that's great. But yeah, like, and and my friend made a big Final Fantasy VII though. Actually, no, we made a book before that. Or no, we made a book after that. Okay, so our first book was Kingdom Hearts, and that was like we sold it at AX, like in uh, maybe uh, like nineteen. 19- 90 no 2000 something like really early 2001 oh, maybe and then our next book was a guilty gear doujinshi guilty gear x doujinshi oh guilty gear xx or x2 yeah, yeah. yeah and then and then like after that we, uh in college uh mariel paul and i we made our own books of uh we had original art but then later we did like a smt book too we did a persona 3 book i think oh nice so i've been been doing these uh, book publishings for a long time, dude. Yeah. And yeah. now with uh, with my with my partner, uh, artist Black, like we do a lot of. We actually have a 120 page art book of Shin Megami Tensei. Like we call it Amala Midnight. We have a nice. two volumes of it, two two 120 page volumes of just like every single SMT game that's come out. And like oh, we've been working on the we've been working on this volume three for the longest time. Like we started it back when SMT four Apocalypse was announced, and like. We've just been kind of lazy about it, but like we need to finish it now, especially with SMT5 coming out. Like, yeah, 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 gotta get it out before part five comes out. <laughs> you got like, yeah, year, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, especially this year with the pandemic, it's been hard to get motivated because usually we time it with the, the cons, we, we time oh, with it with cons. like uh, with con schedules, yeah. yeah so, like, we yeah. try to get it ready by like January for Anime Los Angeles, yeah. and then like we try to have a new book by uh. What's it called? Anime Expo in July too, but it's, it's, everything's been thrown out of whack now. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Like uh, speaking of which, like our last book was a uh, God, it's been a while. Well, uh, our last collab, Mega Ten book, was a Persona Four, uh, Persona Four Golden. We called it Persona Four Girl, mm-hmm. where it's a it's about uh the, one of the elements that we like to play is um play with is is the protagonist replaying, like maybe super playing their own game as if they understand everything that's going to happen. So it's about the P4 hero uh, replaying the game as, as, a, as a girl now. 
and uh, just redoing everything and knowing everything, screwing with all the characters. And uh, yeah, it's kind of fun too. Like because you, if you have a framework of knowing what the game is about, then you can take the elements and uh, remix it. And like, it gets really meta. And like, especially with um, once you have a storyline like that, you can throw in elements. Like I don't know how much I should spoil Persona Four. It's been a while, but. Um, I, we can give a spoiler warning. <laughs> you know, people can can skip ahead a few a few minutes uh, if if they're concerned. All right, so skip ahead maybe like in one, then three seconds, three, two, one. So one of the elements that I had fun with when I was writing the most uh, Persona Four Girl, the book, uh, was that I was trying to figure out like so even though it's it's easy to think okay so this is a this is like you know the main character knows the schedule going forward, but what what's something interesting that can come from it? And as I, as I was scripting it out and thinking of concepts, I was like, well, obviously he would, he would fuck with a dachi. Oh, am I allowed to curse in this podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. <laughs> so obviously, like the first thing he would do is just start fucking with a dachi as revenge. But then I realized, like, you know, where does the dachi go from here? He would get super suspicious. Like he'd go paranoid. And then I I realized, like, oh wait, but the obvious fun situation is for him to absolutely break down from uh, being pestered all the time. But the, on the flip side, it's for the protagonist to suddenly realize, oh, wait, as I'm fucking around with this guy, like I'm actually starting to really care about him. And, and so like the end goal is that now Adachi, like when he realizes that he's being screwed with, he like he goes berserk and like kidnaps everyone. And then uh, the protag who thinks he's been alone this whole time because he's uh, he's been you know super playing by himself. Uh, he suddenly realizes, oh no, now I really do need my friends. I really do need everything. Everything I, I thought I was just playing around with is actually really important to me. And so the final pages, the conclusion of the book is that he confronts Adachi and he realizes himself, you know what? I, I don't actually, I'm not actually just fucking around with Adachi. I, I actually genuinely like Adachi. Maybe I even love Adachi. And Adachi's like, no, I'm not going to fall for this. So then with the power of friendship, he has to, uh, he has to, he has to go and embrace Adachi and uh, basically just fuck him. <laughs> So it's it's it ended up being like a protag X Adachi book in the end because it, it, it totally made sense. It's like wait, so these characters actually fall in love with each other. It's like I didn't expect it. Like even though I was writing it, I was like this this makes so much more sense in the end. And then at the end they get married. It's like ridiculous, <laughs> but it all makes sense in the context of the book. And even my Alice friends on a journey there. Yeah, yeah. Like even my friends that worked at Alice were like, yeah, you know what? This this makes a lot of sense. This is actually pretty canon. <laughs> And I fortunately had a lot of experience where, like, I was actually even able to give my books, copies of, of our books, to the like the Japanese Atlas team. Like, uh, oh, I remember, goodness. yeah, like I met oh, up with the the, the persona. Well, I mean, because we're we go to E three and and they they attend Anime Expo and stuff. Uh, yeah, we'd have the fortune of running into them a lot. Like uh, the Persona three illustrator. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, we, uh, is it so Sojima? Yeah, yeah, Soejima. Okay, you should edit that. <laughs> That's not embarrassing. Uh, so Soejima, we actually met with him. It's uh, and like, cause he was just there at the booth, and like, we just happened to hang out. So, like, I we just handed him a copy of the book and said, like, hey, you guys are. This is around when Persona Three Arena was just announced. And I remember thinking, saying to him and passing him our business card, going, hey, if you guys want, you know, to make an HD, you know, hand drawn fighting game. You know? <laughs> hit us up we have some experience i, I was like yeah um, i've got some demi fiend for you and then we handed them our book and uh so they they're aware of it they have they have it at the office over there <laughs> pretty lucky nice. hey? yeah 
Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, like, and uh, for me, like, uh, Nocturne, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne was a really important game. Like, it came out when I was in high school. And uh, it didn't really change my worldview, but it was, like, a super, like, this is the, the game I always wanted, like, the, the ultimate in occult, the ultimate in, like, you're all alone in, like, in this fucked up wasted land, wasteland, and yeah. you have to go and can't trust anyone, and you meet all these weird people. Like, what I love about the SMT worldview, like, the mainline worldview, is that um, it's always about, like, some normal kid or some regular kid gets thrown into, like, hell or just into the worst experience possible, and all these demons are just like, you know, who's this punk? And through like your own ability or through your demons and working together, you basically every boss fight is just like ah, you know, fuck you, who are you, this little human? And then afterwards, like oh shit, I'm so sorry, <laughs> you're actually pretty strong. And even though it's like such a simple dynamic, it's always so satisfying. Like every demon is just like oh, here's this you know mysticism or mystic god or mystic demon or folklore, and they're always like ah, oh, fuck you. And then in the end, it's like oh no, sorry, you're so strong. It's such a satisfying gameplay loop. I always love that element. Yeah. What about you? Where? How do you feel? Where do you come from? What's your favorite uh, SMT game? Oh man, um, uh, similar to you, uh, my my entry point was uh, Persona One. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, way back in the day. Um, I think I just started high school when I came out, and um, I was just drawn to the cover. I had no idea what I was in store for. I was just like, oh, this looks cool. You know, I looked. Yeah. At the like I, I like the art um sounds compelling it's uh you know the high school setting a contemporary setting was a uh, very different from from any yeah. rpg out at the time and um i didn't even know like th this was like uh i don't know they'd probably made like a dozen <laughs> megami tensei games before that but this was the first one to reach america and it was it was still unique right that contemporary yeah, setting yeah. and then you play yeah, it because like, yeah. The JRPGs back then were always in the fantasy world, but this was like just straight up like, you know, regular modern day, well, Persona 1, the US version of Revelations Persona, they uh, localized it as Lunar Vale, like, oh, it's just a <laughs> regular ass American city. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They made it, I forgot, they said it, uh, they, they localized it to be in America, yeah. and then they, um, they, they even made one of the characters black. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, so I, I got a great story about that. So oh, I didn't yeah, yeah. know. That, that they changed him for the longest time and so like i was just like oh yeah you know it's mark he's he's the coolest character yeah and then uh so when ebay first came around i remember one of the first things i looked up was like oh, i'm gonna find some you know revelations persona merch so i looked yeah. up you know persona persona one and then like oh i'm gonna find some dojinshi and so i bought like two or three of them and in all the books i was like where's mark you know like everyone else <laughs> and then i realized like oh you know everyone else is here but Instead of Mark, they just have like this like goofy guy, this clown with that dumb hat. Like, and then it slowly dawned on me, wait, they did it. They did, did they, you know, did they blackface some of the characters? Like, what? It's so, it's so mind blowing, but you know, it's for the best because you know, I love Mark. Mark's one of the best characters. Yeah. Yeah. I love how at the beginning of the game when all, all the trouble breaks out you know people are grabbing office supplies and he happens to have like a, a hatchet in his book bag <laughs> like he's he's ready <laughs> ready for trouble yeah yeah like the first game it, it's kind of amazing that like so in the in the japanese version like all fans know that there are actually uh, two sides of the game there's the snow queen's quest mm -hmm. which is uh, only accessible if you, if you went down a certain route and then yeah. the main quest was like the one that everyone saw 
And in the first game, like in America, the Revelations persona, we didn't, we never got the Snowy Queen's quest. But it's so strange to think like Atlas as a developer was like, yeah, sure, let's hide like you know a third of the game in like a, a thing that you would only find if you specific, specifically went searching for certain characters in the very like first hour of the game instead of going down the predetermined route. It's like, could you imagine if like uh, what's the modern day equivalent of like, let's say, uh, oh man. I don't know what, what's a modern game that you played. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm currently replaying Final Fantasy Tactics. <laughs> oh, I, I, have, I have so many uh, old games to catch up on. Uh, modern games. Um, uh, I mean, Tactics works too. Like instead of going down, you know, trying to stop the Empire. Actually, yeah, I'm kind of blanking on this plot line. I think that's a, the plot line. Like, what if uh, you just followed one of the side characters instead, and then you realize there's like this whole underbelly of the story that you like they just put there but you wouldn't have known if you didn't like follow yeah. an FAQ if you just stumbled on it by accident yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah okay let's say it's like last of us if, if there, it was last yeah. of us too and you, you don't go go down the path of revenge right? like it's a whole yeah. whole different uh game yeah so it's like as a developer can you imagine like putting all this resources into that it's like you can miss entire characters like well yep. one of the characters like yukino she uh she crosses over in both sides i think but like the other cast, like they don't they don't even show up. They show up in the very beginning and then they're just gone for the whole game because they, they, they weren't in high school when it got teleported away. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's it's like it's so weird to, to think. Like why why would you do that? I um oh my god, like the the balls it takes to do that, especially in the uh pre internet days. I mean like early stage internet. So it would have been really hard to even figure that out at all. Yeah, you'd have yeah. to look at game magazines and be like, What? There's a whole different section where? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I love about uh, games from that era, though. Like, everything was just weird. Like, um, really, there were no standard industry practices yet. Like, everything was like, a, you know, pretty much everything was an indie game, the equivalent of a modern indie <laughs> game. Yeah, like the PlayStation 1 era, especially, you could get super experimental because games didn't cost much to produce. So, and, and they actually uh, published a lot of uh, weird games. Like, Sony oh, yeah. encouraged it. Yeah. So, like at the time, like a lot of like Japanese music labels would start their own game companies or game uh, development right. studios, and it was yeah. such a cool time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so many cool, cool games from back. We should definitely have you back to talk about it, some of those other games too. Yeah. It's a great, great, very super experimental era, um, especially because of the the CD capacity. You you, you could suddenly cram everything that you wanted to put in the game like could fit <laughs> on the cd you know within reason it must have been I, revolutionary like like oh and, he, and you even uh showed like uh in your big final fantasy tactics thread or with the ones that you retweeted where it's mm -hmm. like they brought the 2d artistry into the 3d for the first time using like a vertex painting or vertex coloring and and the sub pixel animation for the 3d models it's like so cool to cross over these uh art art elements together to, yeah to, for the first time yeah you know um i i suspect the snow queen route that so in like the super nintendo era that would have been like look guys we got to do one or the other and then in the cd era it was like we can do both <laughs> let's just get them both yeah. in there we can, we can just do whatever we want yeah why not yeah. and then like the development team's like yeah and then like three months or six months later they're like oh god why do we do this? yeah I, oh, it's um, really funny so yeah. the, the persona one manga manga even like because there's these two very disparate roots, like um, the way they solved that when they adapted it to a manga form is that they just had the protagonist be, be twins. 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> so, what? Really? Yeah. yeah, so one of the twins gets stuck in the school and the other twin is in, in the main round. So oh my it's gosh, like, that's brilliant. It's such, <laughs> it's, just, it's such a dumb but simple, like pretty good solution for how you it's, adapt the storyline. <laughs> it's so simple. That, that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and speaking of uh, the localization of trying to get into like Lunardale, actually, and the school was already St. Saint Her- Her- Saint Hermelin High School to begin with, so it was already kind of Western. Mm-hmm. Um, in our first uh, Amal of Midnight collection, like I did a Revelation Persona book where I specifically just like called out how 90s it was and it made everyone like just super 90s stereotype. And, like, the, 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 even though they got you know whisked away, uh, they, they would try to make school prom happen. So the entire book is about them trying to make prom happen. Ah, oh, nice. And like, I just love the Revelations cast even more than the Japanese cast because they're just such American, like such forced in American, like, you know, they're all shoving burgers down their mouth and like, <laughs> yeah. guns. It's like, it's great. Uh, they like changed their color palettes. They literally like whitewashed uh, the characters. It was pretty, yeah, the, it was the crazy. The protagonist, is, he's a redhead, like all of them turn blonde. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's so... Yeah, like thinking about it now, it's like, wow, I can't believe they got away with that. But, you know, people didn't know. There wasn't the internet back then. I mean, there was, but it was just yeah. like the fan fan base was very small and split up. Yeah, uh, you know, the weird thing is, um, I mean, you know, I, I, normally I'd be kind of pissed about that sort of thing, especially if it happened today. But um, I don't know. This somehow ends up fitting into the weird, like, splitting timeline canon <laughs> <laughs> of the whole like Megami Tensei uh, series, right? It, it's all about shifting identities and 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 you know uh, de- having an avatar that's a physical manifestation of different parts of yourself. So it weirdly works, at least yeah. as a time capsule. Yeah, that's one of the elements I loved about Nocturne: how they canonized the, the multi-world theory with their vortex world. It's like yeah. all of a sudden now each of the Mega Ten games are canon or in their own timeline. It's like oh, it's so it's so great, so mind blowing that they've accepted it and now just part of the world universe. It's like yeah, oh sure, like you know the Persona games spun off from the SMT If series, which was all you know part of the SMT One timeline. It's like oh yeah, it's it's totally canon. Or like how later games, some games split off from SMT Two. Like I think um, I think SMT Nine, the the game that was supposed to be an online Xbox game, like the original Xbox. Was oh yeah, be, yeah. I think that's between SMT one and two. It's been a while since I've uh, played it. That, 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 that's that's the one that they hired uh, Yasuomi Umetsu to do the the character yeah. designs. Right? <laughs> that was the... Like the K artist. Yes. <laughs> it's like of all people, like why did you pick the, this? It's, oh, he's it's so awesome. strange. Uh, he's great. Like, I, I mean, mean I... yeah, his art is great. But like for an SMT game, it's like, well, haven't they just using Kaneko? Like you have this amazing artist. They yeah, wanted. Um... Like, yeah. So my, my understanding is, uh, he, you know, Umezu is a, a veteran of uh, the anime industry. Uh, and he did like uh, redesigns for uh, Gotcha Man and stuff. He like refreshed Gotcha Man for the OVAs and Hurricane Polymer oh. and such. So um, he knew how to translate these characters into 3D model sheets. And um, uh. that was the first... I want to say it was the first 3D game that Kaneko worked on, and he didn't feel super confident about it. So I, I think that's the reason why they brought in uh, Umetsu. They they worked on Makin X before that for the oh, GPS. Oh, oh right. I think maybe they worked on that, and then he was like, oh, man, this is hard. <laughs> and then they brought in some help. I loved that game, though. I, that I, the, the, uh, the art direction, I, I loved the characters. Um 
I'm not usually into first person uh, shooters, but but um, that one just really drew me into the the world and the 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 mood of it and the 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 weird gameplay where you like hijack people's Take bodies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then just how the stages get increasingly bizarre. I could not get into it because I my first person games are my like super weakness. Oh, yeah. And then that game had has a lot of first person platforming. Oh I yeah. Just could not wrap my head around like because it wasn't even uh, it was like early the first person. Well, it's an early Atlas first person game, so it was not very smooth. So it was just right. so clunky for me. And the battling was all first person sword sword fighting. And I just yeah. could not get into it. <laughs> I think for me the uh, Kazuma Kaneko art direction like that that was enough for me to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh his his designs are so brilliant like all the boss designs are so unique. It's it's yeah. like um uh, I, I love that. Oh shoot. No, we need I need like reference photos to try to find it. But like yeah, I, that's why I really wish he came back. Like he was such a for me for like as an old school Mega 10 fan, like he mm-hmm. he was the reason why I came into the series like his his really cool the modern designs that like that stay yes. relevant no matter yes. how long it's been. Like, yeah. you can look at the Persona 2 cast, like, when they rebooted the game, for, or not reboot, when they ported the game to PSP, and all the designs are still fresh, and they still look good, oh, even though so it's been good. a decade. Yeah. It's like... Tetsuya, his, his tattoo, his tattoo of a hand gripping his own hand, like, that's awesome. <laughs> I'd never seen anything like that before. And it, it was so tastefully done, too. It's, oh, gosh, his, his designs give me chills, man. Yeah. I miss it so much. Like, it's one, I feel it's kind of lacking nowadays like I, the guys are that taking over like doi he's a good illustrator mm-hmm. and his designs they feel good but they, they're not wholly the same like yeah the demon designs they're i feel like they're a little bit more complicated they're not as elegant or as a uh, simple and unique and weird yeah or, or as a cult feeling i miss it a lot i, I especially miss the black upper lip the Kaneko black upper yes lip. yes like like a, a artist black and i we, we try to make that a big thing the and we cop- not copyrighted, but you know the Atlas, the Kaneko black upper lip trademark. It's like, yeah. I wish they brought it back, even if it's even if it wasn't in Kaneko style. Just you know, that, to me, that's what Mega Ten Pro tags look like. They they need that black. It, it it's such a interesting design choice because I think most people wouldn't even notice it until you point it out, and then you're like, oh yeah. my god, <laughs> yeah, they, it's it's really consistent. It's just it's, like a stylized shading of the upper lip, but, yeah. but then it. it just looks right like and some of my friends like when they cosplay the mega tank characters they always they always get the black upper lip in oh, they, they fill it in <laughs> yeah because that's, awesome. that's how you look canon that's how you look accurate that's great yeah i'm i'm, I'm totally with you for me uh, kaneko's art is sort of the the soul of uh the series that that's what really hooked me like um uh, af- after the first game I remember uh, after my first job, I got a little bit of money and like a bank card and I, I, I hopped online and I, um, one of the first books I ever bought was uh, the Kazuma Kaneko um, uh, art books. Uh, th- this was before the modern hardcover ones. He, he had ones yeah, called like Pandemonium, yeah. and Pandemonium and yeah, I had all, all three of those and yeah, I, I still have them. I, I literally sleep beside these books. <laughs> It's literally in arm's reach, like next to my bed. Um, Those I, love, I love his work. Stuff. It's such a strange shape too, because it's not like a full size or, or like. Oh yeah, they're like square. Yeah. yeah, they're square books. Here, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm holding it in my hand right now. Oh my gosh! I'm taking it, taking it out of the plastic. <laughs> 
Oh, his work. I really wish that more people would play uh, the the 32-bit games of like uh, right after Persona, they made a uh, not Soul Hackers. What was before? Oh, Devil Summoner, and then Soul Hackers we got for 3DS, definitely. But those games were like, especially compared to the modern day Mega Ten, like they were on the cusp of like being really a cult. Well, Soul Hackers did the really unique thing of embracing like the mid '90s like hacker culture. It was all about yeah. oh, this is what the future is gonna look like. Yeah. It's so interesting that they combined that with like Native American mysticism or mythology, and and with the traditional uh, Mega Ten uh, plot. And like what I love about Soul Hackers especially is that they instead of going for the Judeo-Christian base, they really mm-hmm. went hard with like you know Indian culture with the uh, Native American culture, and like everyone instead of using computers to summon demons, they use like whatever pomp they want to do. Like so, one of the characters has a saxophone that he uses to summon demons. It's like it's, it's oh, so that's good. That's awesome. Man, yeah, I, I actually never played that one. That that sounds amazing. Um, and that you know, you, you touched on something I love, like the diversity of the stuff that they they reference. Um, you know, like if you, if you just take a quick glance at the series, it just looks like oh, you know, like angels, demons, may, may, uh, you, you, also some like Buddhist and Shinto stuff. But they are they reference stuff from like all over the world and. Um, I think the other day I was like on on Twitter. Someone pointed out like several of the the creatures in the game. Like you can't find information about them in English outside of the Megami Tensei like wiki. <laughs> it's the only place to find out about these things in, in English. And and they're you know they're real things from like folklore and belief systems. It's just um, yeah they they dig deep from all over. Yeah, I love it. Like. Um... I think on Shmupulations or somewhere they translated one of the old Kaneko interviews. They they talked about oh, like where did great. you, yeah, like where did you get the inspiration for it? And and he responds like, oh, you know, growing up I had all these picture books of like you know mythology and uh, you know, like world mythology books or like you know here's a demon encyclopedia or things like that. And yeah. or he'd find inspiration from like movies that he saw. And he'd, like uh, so I think in like SMT one or two, one of the references is like you know there's just Beetlejuice, he's just a straight up a demon. Or there's like a carry. Oh, not a, I don't think it's a carry reference, but and then there, there's like a talking car. Like that's a reference to. Wait, do you remember the movie? That's the streetcar named Desire is that the movie? I think I, I forget what car movie it is, but just straight I up just puts it in there because. Streetcar named Desire, I do not think was about a talking car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I don't know what what car movie it is then, but yeah, just whatever he's into, they just threw it in there. It's like so wild. Yeah. But that was in the earlier days. Oh, actually, we mentioned earlier that the, like, oh, shoot, what was the artist's name for Megaten, Shimega Megaten Tensei 9? The, the Kite illustrator? Oh, uh, uh, Umezu, Yasuomi. Umezu. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Umetsu, Umetsu. Umetsu. Yeah. So going back to that, like, even Kaneko, he started from anime. Like, he, he had an anime industry background. So. Oh, like so. If you go back to like the early Atlas works, like that he worked on, like there's some like, no, not licensed game. I think there's like an unreleased game where he just drew, drew like an American cartoon wolf, and it's just he's so good at nailing these strange, oh, not strange, but like novel styles. Yeah, and to think that they're able to turn. So, so one of the most interesting things to me, especially, is that Shin Megami Tensei originally came from Megami Tensei, which is like a light novel series about. Uh, you know, a hacker who summons Loki to the world, and then he, he brings hell, basically. 
Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't know it started as a book series uh, be before uh, any of the video games. Yeah. Yeah, and like so, Atlas, uh, they they got funding from uh, Namco to uh, to publish it. So the original game series is like an NES uh, published by Namcot, because that was like, I don't know, here's some deep game facts. Namco, when they published games on console, they called themselves Namcot to separate, mm. like to distinguish, like oh, this is the you know the console branch. So that that's why the games back then, like Namco games, have had the name Namcot. I always wondered about that, yeah, because I I loved <laughs> like the uh, um, the 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 great battle games and stuff, yeah. It was yeah. always Namcot. Every Yu Yu Hakusho yeah. game was Namcot. <laughs> okay. So, that, so yeah, and then like Atlas, uh, after doing two of the two Megami Tensei games, they're like, you know, we could take this and spin it off and do something completely different. Because the first game was a pretty faithful adaptation, and the second game was just like a, a basically a new like it doesn't really take place in the canon of the game or the books. It mm -hmm. just they just go into a new dungeon and they just, they just do whatever. Yeah. And then from there, Atlas was like, oh, you know, we, these games are successful. Let's just buy the IP entirely from the writer and just make our own stuff. And that's why it's Shin Megami Tensei afterwards. Like, they, they, just, yep. they just purchased the rights to it. And, like, if you if you uh, go back and read some of the novels, because they're actually fan translated. Like, oh, they are? Could, okay. Yeah, it was only a few years ago they fan translated, yeah. And they're pretty, like, pulpy, kind of generic. Hmm. <laughs> it's like, they really took some, like, basic stuff and turned it into something really unique with the Shin Megami Tensei series. Like Akazuma yeah. Kaneko and Kozi Okada and all the original guys that worked on it, they just went totally wild with like their mythology and like the setting. They just taken the basic premise and some of the bare elements, like the you know, the the, the computer influence or the hacker influence. Yeah. And then like throwing in Steven as as the creator of the demon summoning program. So cool how like they made this whole new canon from it. Oh and it's so cool how like even in the modern games, they call back to it. Like even in a Persona 5, they have a call back to the Alice. Like, they always have Alice in Wonderland as one of the characters in the game. Mm. Well, not specifically, but in SMT1, one of the canon, or one of the story elements is that Alice is, uh, is always helped by these two demons. I'm actually blanking on their names right now. Oh, yeah. She should be in there. So, she's, uh, in SMT1, she was the girl that died, and then she's resurrected by the ghost of the Red Count, who's a Belial, and the Black Baron, who's Nebiros. And, um, in, in so many other Mega Ten games, they always call back to it. Like I think in uh, Persona Five, the way you fuse Alice is that you have to get Belial and Nevros, and it's a oh, special fusion. And it's nice. such, it's so cool that they always include that. I think, like, I'm pretty sure in uh, SMT Five, they're gonna do a call back to. Like just one of the, the in-game lore elements, like the canon world elements that they have to they love to call back to. Or like how SMT Four completely went hard, and how Steven is like this super almighty character. Like he transcends universes. He, he's like, well, I don't want to spoil SMT4 for players because uh, SMT4 and Apocalypse. Oh, shoot. Sorry, I'm just going on a tangent here. But like, <laughs> I'm really, I'm so impressed by SMT4 Apocalypse's setting because it's, it's like if you took the ending of like, let's say Final Fantasy VII, you took the ending of Final Fantasy VII and then you did a sequel game, whereas the sequel is like five minutes before the ending of seven. Like, let's say before Cloud goes into media or goes to fight, you know, Sephiroth in the, in the, 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 the the meteor cave or the what's it called the crater they're just like nope a new guy come and fucked it all up like a new villain came and just killed everyone it's like that's what smt4 setting is it's like right at right at the ending of the neutral ending of smt4 the new protag comes in and unlocks uh, unleashes a new demon or a new uh, god that was locked away and just ruins everything it's like such a 
refreshing like it's it's a basically a fanfic that became you know wild and canon it's like yeah. that never happens like here's this new cast that just ruins everything it's, it's so refreshing i wish more people played it like apocalypse or what it does do that i don't enjoy is that it, it really embraced like oh you know persona 4 and persona 3 were so popular because it has s links let's throw in like all these important side characters that you now are best friends with and they always go with you which i think ruined the entire vibe of megami tensei but fortunately there is a path where you can take where you can decide to kill all of them it's so it's so much more satisfying like the way i played the game i was like begrudgingly going through going oh, i guess i'll hang out with these people oh they're having fun great i guess you are a chaos guy then yeah well, yeah a little well, like because some games some of the settings of the games like it feels more appropriate for them to live in that kind of universe like yeah, yeah. in smt in smt4 the original i feel like the setting of how uh oh man that setting is so great too about how uh the the world that they come from what they thought was normal was actually just like wait do you, have you played smt4 do you mind if i spoil some of the plot uh yeah go for it just i, I guess we can give a little warning <laughs> <laughs> listeners okay we're gonna go into some spoilers so um yeah maybe skip ahead and oh i guess we should also <laughs> tell people when when the spoilers are over if they're skipping around oh, go go for it yeah <laughs> i guess find timestamps later throw them in yeah. here yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so so the plot of shimami tensei 4 is that um you he's come from the western kingdom of uh, shit, i'm blanking on the name but you come from like a very feudal society mm-hmm. and so and and you think oh it's going to be like a fantasy game like they'd be very uh, purposely go f- reverse the trope that they usually come from of you know modern day games. So now it's like, oh, you know, we're doing a fantasy setting. Yeah, and so very like, different for Megami Tensei. Yeah, yeah, and like so the first three hours are like, oh, you know, it's a fantasy setting, but strangely, all the warriors are called you know samurai, which is strange. And and the demon summoning program is now it's like you know equipment that they all wear. It's a gauntlet. But then three to four hours in, you realize, oh no, like what we thought was you know the entire world is actually a lie like what what they thought was like hell like you know they they go deep into this dungeon and that's where all the demons come from but when you go down to the bottom of the dungeon it just leads to tokyo like modern day tokyo which has been ravished in like you know post-apocalypse tokyo which is like such a mind-blowing idea it's it flips the entire genre on the head it turns out uh that that smt4 takes place in like a smt1 style universe where the, the entire world was nuked by. I'm not. I'm kind of blanking. SMT one uh, setting is that America nukes Japan. Is and, uh, Th- uh, Thor right? Yeah, because Thor take, took the the body of one of the the leaders. Yeah. And the SMT four also follows along that plot line where everything is nuked, mm. but the the god of Japan, uh, Masakado, I think I think that situation, uh, created a seal around Tokyo. Or, yeah, just does Tokyo to protect it. And the and then the kingdom that's built on top of it was from one of the survivors that uh, went to the top of the seal and uh, started the kingdom, along with people that were exiled because the angels also came down and protected Tokyo. And oh no, was the angels? I'm forgetting some of the details, but yeah, the angels basically took some of the people they thought were blessed and created the kingdom on top of Tokyo. It's such a crazy setting that like there's like a time paradox of like everyone outside of the Tokyo seal, like time goes like four times faster for them or three times faster for them. Mm. that's why even though it's only been like five or ten years or in tokyo it's like been hundreds of years like on the in the world above it it's such a great setting man oh man yeah. and, and all the demon designs kind of refreshed it using uh using 
Clement Ryder artists and designers like yeah, brought... Kita Amemiya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amemiya's yeah. designs and uh, Nirasawa's designs, like yes, one of the last things Nirasawa worked on. Yeah. Yes, yes. It, yeah. I'm so thankful for it because, like, otherwise I wouldn't have been uh, introduced to it. Like, it's strange because you know, growing up in the '90s, you saw his work, like, and, but like it through uh, live action shows, like. Uh, mm -hmm. Shoot, what am I thinking of? Um, what was the one live action adaptation of an anime about like a woman? Uh, Zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Iria. Yeah, 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 yeah. Iria. Like his live action Iria movie. Like yeah. they had that in the Blockbuster and stuff. So like you'd watch it and be like, oh, or I watched it thinking, oh, this is such so crazy. Like how do they make anime real? But yeah. now it's like I can understand. Like, oh, you know, it was, it was there. Yeah, it was uh, Kita Amamiya's like hard work, you know, adapting it and turning it real. Like, so so like blessed that they decided like you know instead of having Kaneko's art like let's bring in these uh common writer artists instead and like we can have all these like new styles come in and it's such a breath of fresh air to see the, their work in smt4 yeah. like i yeah, really I love that i'm just going on going on but like amemiya's work as uh the angel designer especially the archangel yes, yes. how he readapted them like at first i was like what is this? It's so weird, but it's it makes such a great dichotomy of like, why do these people living in like this feudal society completely trust these horrible monsters? It's because like you know to them like this is what angels always look like. This is of course this is God. Like you know this is what heavenly you know beings look like. And in and one of the situations that uh, Flip turns uh, the beginning of SMT4 around is that people from Tokyo, the this lady wearing a demonica, like which is such a great callback to a Strange Journey. She comes in and she's uh, she's wearing a black demonica, and they, everyone calls her the black samurai. And she uh, spreads modern day uh, just regular novels around. And like one of the, the one of the main characters, she falls in love with shoujo manga. <laughs> it's like a, it's one of the it's like you can maybe see screen caps of it around going where she goes. Oh, you know, I love this this shoujo manga from the fantasy kingdom of uh, France. <laughs> it's so good, and her teachings are like forbidden knowledge to, to these uh, very. Uh, heavily christian society which which is ruled by you know you, you don't have to think about things you know there's an upper class that you that you just have to listen to and just listen to the world of the word of angels they're always right yeah. Yeah. and oh, i completely lost my kind of thought but i just love yeah, that it's okay. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he turned these angel designs that's full of little monsters it's, like, it's so great um, so good. It, it it does kind of it's historically accurate, right? Because a lot of the uh, yeah. early writings on angels are, uh, you know, they, they didn't become these, like, what we consider angelic, you know, uh, beautiful, winged, clean people until, I don't know, like the Renaissance or something. Yeah. Um, Middle Ages, right? Like, before that, they were supposed to be unknowable. Like, just to gaze upon them would be terrifying. Your mind couldn't <laughs> comprehend them, right? So you just, you you see it as a burning wheel with, with a million eyes and six wings. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think Amemiya captured that really well. Yeah, the horror element he really captured. And I love that uh, that the, the whole angel thing became a meme recently. Or, or they, I love the one where it's like a bunch of emojis where they get the eyes and the, the wings and wheels together. And it's like, you know, be not afraid, humans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. love that meme. Like, yeah, and the, the idea that that's also what i love about like i you had this big great twitter thread about it too where like the the how kaneko adapted the angel designs to be like to take certain elements of it like throne how he's just a wheel and but he's like a man but he took the medieval elements of like a man being tortured by being strapped to a wheel and it's, it, he takes all these small elements together and makes it into this unique cool design 
Yeah. Well, that, that, that wasn't me. That was someone else on Twitter did a great thread about um, oh, the angel. We'll, we'll link it in the, the comments. Uh, or yeah, if, if you're on arteater.com, we'll, we'll, we'll put a link to, to that thread. Yeah. Yeah. He, that, that thread, the, whoever uh, analyzed it, he had, he brought such a refreshing uh, takes onto it. Like, oh yes, this is referencing, you know, the, I actually don't remember any specific details, but. Um, you talked about like the lower angel had like a S and M theme, you know, it, uh, just like a bondage theme, and um, it wasn't just like oh, you know, let's make it sexy. Like it, it tied into uh, a, another angel up the ranks that is canonically like a commander. Um, yeah. That's what her chain is connected to. There's another angel. Yeah. The higher up they go, the weirder they get. And this one was like more abstract and has a bunch of dangling chains. It's connecting the designs, literally connecting them like that. Such yeah, a good it's so good. Yeah, so and much like, That angel, is, I think it, it originated, the, the SMT bondage angel originated in, um, I want to say Nocturne, but maybe it came from the SMT2 uh, PlayStation 1 port. Because the original angels were just like blue clad naked woman with like uh, drapes just flowing around them mm. with like a, a blindfold. But yeah, with the, with the reboot design where they have bondage, it works so much better. Well, mainly they did it to cover their crotches because the original ones were just like just hanging all out. <laughs> That's, that's that's one funny. Of, one, one of the things I miss too with like um the spin-off games, like uh Devil Summoner and Soul Hackers, they 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 can do different designs for traditional demons, like Nekomata. Um the one that, that's in like the mainline games now, I think, is like mm -hmm. kind of a, a more clothed, the more I don't know what you would call it, just wearing a lot of clothes. But then in Soul yeah. Hackers and Devil Summoner and even in the Rido games, it's just like a furry naked cat lady which is maybe more traditional but oh yeah it's, yeah, yeah. it's fun that they, they're willing to take on like different looks for different games like i wish they would do more of that <laughs> yeah yeah there's so much lore to these series i i think maybe um if, if you're listening if you're if you're new to the series or or if you've only played the persona games like that's such a small slice of uh, all of what Megami Tensei has to offer. There's, I, I counted. There's over forty games. <laughs> it's so, so crazy to think it's yeah. been so many games now. Yeah. Oh, and this is a, a small tangent again, but like, I love that. Um, before, uh, fans knew what they call themselves. Like, I think we we were just like SMT fans, mm -hmm. and then like later, someone dug up on Tumblr. They found out, oh, in Japan they call themselves Mega Tennists. <laughs> so, there's a there's a big thread where everyone was drawing like you know tennis like all the players or main characters as tennis players. <laughs> I drew the I drew the strange journey character with like a sweatband and holding a tennis racket. Nice. <laughs> Other people do demi fiend with a tennis racket. It's like, yeah, mega tennis. That, that's what we are. <laughs> mega tennis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. Oh man. Okay, let's um. Okay, let's let's get into Megami Tensei Five. Oh, shoot, How... that's, right. that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're here for, right? I forgot. Yeah, we're, we're here for, all, for, for everything, for the, you know, everything leading up to it, too. So how, oh my gosh, how did you feel tuning into N Nintendo Direct, right? Like, th this was, um, <laughs> it was the third-party games Nintendo Direct, right? So not, not one of the main ones. Nintendo made it, you know, very... They, they told everyone ahead of time, like, they're not going to announce any first-party titles. So people weren't expecting anything. And um, I think several yeah. people even jokingly said, like, 
you know, if they, if they actually show Megami Tensei Five, like I will eat my shoe. Uh, they they said much more graphic things than, than yeah, that. But... Yeah, my my favorite one was like a guy saying, "I will staple my ball to my leg. You can yes, hold me to it." That was it. <laughs> <laughs> For me, like um, so I was talking to another Megaten fan, Larue. Uh, he he does a lot of good posts, and he has like a good uh, YouTube show and podcast about Megaten. He's a big Megaten fan. And he said, "Oh yeah, tomorrow." What do you guys think? Um, SMT5? And I replied, uh, Nocturne Switch, which is completely as a joke. Because uh, that, that, that was the farthest thing from my mind. I was like, whatever, it's going to be like indie games or it's going to be like third party games no one cares about or we yeah. don't care about. And to wake up to like, because like I was even awake for the direct, but I just completely ignored it thinking, you know, they wouldn't. They're not going to show. I'll just watch it in the afternoon, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then everyone just screaming at me, hey, Persona Sama, like, hey, you know check it's it's you it's your favorite game it's like what what are you guys talking about and checking it out it's just like what a wrestling game uh, what do you guys i'm not i'm not into wwe or whatever because like that's what other games were before the, the uh, nocturne yeah. reveal that's yeah. like then when the nocturne drop came i was like what what's that what, what world am i living in where they're actually remastering nocturne because i was just about to like start playing you know nocturne again because every few years i want to like load up an emulator and play like nocturne in hd but and then they just they just brought it i was like what Let's go. Is this happening? <laughs> what world am I living in? Yeah. And then right afterwards, they they dropped the SMT five trailer too. It's like what, what? Yeah. And you could finally see the protagonist and like his his interesting. What would you even call that? It's like it's not even a bulk card. It's like one one half of the hair. He just has like one long bang, and it's like his his well no he's have one long forelock, and his bangs are like cut unevenly. And it's like it, uh, what is that? I I just call it the Lane haircut. He's got the serial oh, experiment really Lane. <laughs> Right? It really is, yeah. It's like, did he cut his own hair? It's like, what's, yeah. what's going on? But yeah, to see his, finally see his face, I was, you know, to be honest, I was really disappointed. He didn't have the black upper lip, but but in exchange, he has like amazing, gorgeous eyelashes. <laughs> yeah, such a beautiful little boy. And uh, I thought it was interesting that also in their last trailer, they had like a, a heroine, I assumed, or a schoolgirl friend of his, and this just is completely gone in this trailer. Like instead, he traded her for like a copy of Paradise Lost, the book that he's reading. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. It's like, I love that they went so hard. They just start straight up with like Lucifer going, you know, your god is dead. It's like, what? What's going on? <laughs> Before that, they just have armies of angels like ready to fight. It's like, what? Oh, yeah. What a statement. I, I love it. Day. It is just so like, just so blunt. Like right off the bat they just show you the logo there's no you know there's no like teasing it's just like yep this is happening and then it's like god is dead <laughs> like that's the starting point i was just like whoa i can't believe this is happening oh, they went start hard. yeah yeah they went so hard just just start up with like you know tokyo tower destroyed with lucifer in front of it it's surrounded yeah. by small new uh imps or demons i'm not even sure what those new guys are but yeah oh, it's, it's so beautiful yeah, and the world itself—it's like a post-apocalyptic desert, kind of like it seems like a throwback to Nocturne. Yeah, I mean, it, could, it felt like it. Yeah, but you know, the desert could be anything because even in SMT one and and and, uh, and also SMT four, like the rest of the world is just a giant desert. Like in SMT four, you can enter alternate universes where uh, Masakado or whoever didn't make a dome around Tokyo, and just Tokyo is just wrecked. It's like blasted Tokyo, and it's also just a desert. So it's a serious trope that like. A nuclear disaster happens and everything is just decimated. Mm, yeah, but 
but like uh if you do like a deep dive into the trailer you can see like there's like this grainy video effect that they do just on certain parts of the of the dirt so like is is it like is that like uh the energy where demons are spawning from or like i don't, I don't know like what what's the situation like where did they come from in, in all in the old games like they came from the comp like the demon summoning program that gets introduced and everyone starts de summoning demons and smt4 uh, the demons just come from like a the, the military opened a gate to to the demon world, and that's where they all come from. Yep. It's like, it, like I wonder what the situation is going to be here. Oh, and also, okay, spoilers for SMT4 Apocalypse. Um, at the end of that game, you help Dagda, your your demon, um, basically kill all kill God, basically like the mm -hmm. Yehovah, YHVH, uh, the Creator yeah, God, Yahweh. Yeah, Yahweh. There you go. Like you you kill him and destroy him. Because because you realize that he is just like every other demon that he only is so powerful because there are people that worship him and he that observe him and acknowledge him as like creator god. But once you strip that away from him, he's just like this horrifying little creature, like this little like monster of a like I think it's a bunch of biblical references of he has like like a tail of a, like a tail of a snake, like a head of a mule or like like a wheel, like he's on like a cart, like I. I don't, know, don't take my word for it because it's been a while since I played it, but it's just like this like horrible fucked up monster that's trying to play like this elegant god. It's such a cool callback, and then you kill him, and then you become the new like you basically got rid of the entire hierarchy. Like there's no Judeo-Christian like you know, uh, ranking or world or anymore, and you just get become the new creator god together with Dagda and uh, whichever waifu you want to pick. But in my case, in my case, I hated all of them except Gaston, who's like this idiot older brother who who just fucks everything up like so in smt4 apocalypse your partners whoever you choose like assist you like some of them do like you know buffs some of them do follow-up attacks gaston yeah. what he does is he steals your turns and just does physical attacks <laughs> and it, it was like the ultimate hard mode because you'd constantly steal my attacks and like do physical attacks against people that repelled physical oh, and always yeah. be like oh, what are you doing but each time i'd be like you know you're such a beautiful idiot that's fine you can steal my <laughs> And it's okay. So my my case particularly, he made my run so hard. There's so many fights where like I would just be about to win, and he stole my turn, and then just killed us all. Oh and my god! It's so good because in the final fight against the Yahweh, like he would keep reviving because if if you don't do anything for like three or four turns, they auto revive. So he'd revive, and then he'd try to attack Yahweh, and Yahweh would be like, you know what? I'm gonna give this one to you. I'm gonna just gonna, just gonna attack him first. So he actually saved me by my fight. Because so, yeah, Yahweh will always target him first, and I was like, "Thanks, Gaston. You took that hit. You took that hit right in the face." Took one of the team. Yeah, <laughs> Yahweh's like, "You played a tough game. I'll, I'll just get rid of him for you. You're good." <laughs> but anyway, so going back, um, you you kill the creator god. So I wonder, like, is, is SMT five gonna be a spinoff of that? Like, because that that's part of the multiverse. Like, is is God dead because in that timeline he was killed? Like, does that have you know ramifications in this world? I mean, to be to be fair, like they never actually do direct callbacks. Like, there's no like, oh, you know, the, like SMT one and two are maybe the rare occasions of where it's like a direct direct sequel. Like, they're, they're usually not interconnected like directly like that. So it's probably a new situation. But it is fun to think, oh, maybe there are some echoes of what happened here, or like in Nocturne where uh, you become Lucifer's the main true, like you become Lucifer's like uh, Jesus almost at the end of Nocturne. Oh, in yeah. the true demon end, anyway. So it's like, is it is it a reflection of that? Like, is he did did you know did the demi fiend kill Yahweh? Is that what the timeline we're going from? It's fun to think about. Yeah. Oh man, and um, 
Oh, just just to clarify, in case uh, people aren't familiar with the series, um, there, there's usually three uh, paths through the game, right? Three potential alignments. Uh, there, there's um, uh, chaos, which we've been talking about. You know, like just just might is right, basically, just like ultimate yeah. freedom. And then a uh, law, which is like you know you you care about stability, and you're willing to. Um, uh, you know, like uh, basically trade freedom for stability. Um, and then there's the neutral path, the middle path, which is typically the hardest path. Um, and the, the cool thing about the games is like they don't, although each game tends to like kind of have a theme, right? Like like definitely Nocturne was very uh, chaos themed. Uh, yeah. been er earlier ones, uh, I think part two, the canon ending is the neutral theme. Uh, there are ones that are more law themed. Like the game's not always like, oh, you know, kill God. Like uh, sometimes they are very, uh, they go more towards the law end. But um, yeah, they have these three paths, and and I like that. Um, they're just they're just three paths. It's not like, oh, you know, here's the good ending, here's the bad ending. It's just like, hey, which which one do you believe in? Like based on your situation, what what decision do you want to make? I, I I love that about the series. Yeah, I, I love that. Also, like when you go neutral, it, it makes you fight against chaos and law because, like, you're, that's it's the hardest path to like choose something else for, against with the, all the higher orders. Because usually, like, chaos and law are very established in, in the worlds so, of like, you know, the Judeo-Christian God usually supports uh, law, or and yep. Lucifer, meanwhile, always supports uh, chaos. And so, when you go neutral, you're supporting humanity, and so you, yep. just, you, know, you have to fight all the the heralds of both sides. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have any uh, allies in high places. You just gotta gotta build everything up yourself. Oh, so uh, going back to what you're saying about how some of the games are themed, like mm -hmm. I really love how uh, SMT one was like you know a neutral setting more or less, and SMT two they completely swerved and said no, this is a future that Law created. Yes. Like, like, spoilers for Shin Megami Tensei two, like I I love that the world setting. I feel like it's so rich it's like smt2 world setting it could be its own religion like it's yeah. as weird and established as like scientology like it's the future where uh after after okay going back to smt1's ending where the their demons nuke the world and then they come out they take over humanity uh creates a base and they're able to make a millennium kingdom like a golden pyramid in the middle of the desert because uh, angels help them and like law is really strong like smt2 is basically the world of law mm -hmm. and the, the setting is that um, you're just like some orphan that that becomes like a you know a popular Colosseum battler, but it turns out no, you're not that. You're not just a random guy. Uh, the angels actually artificially created you to be an artificial uh, savior. Like you are actually like their Jesus because they could. The angels got tired of waiting for the, the I, savior. I to love come. that setup. That is such yeah. an amazing reveal that like they are so worried that God hasn't reappeared for so long that they're trying <laughs> to engineer like the second coming. It's it's brilliant. <laughs> so good. And they created like artificial like uh, uh like uh, artificial chaos heroes, artificial law heroes, like and there's even like another like more stereotypical SMT hero that shows up, but he's just a fake hero. It's like, no, yeah. you were actually the real savior. It's like, it's such a great setting. And the angels even created like a fake God. They couldn't wait. That's, yeah. that's the Yehovah, Yahweh that you fight. It's like, ah, oh, it's, it's so good. It's like, that could be its own super religion. Like, I wish in a parallel world, I wish like, you know, that would be like, oh, you, you, like, oh, you want to join the church of, you know, Shigami Tensei? Here we go. Here's the book. Like, uh, you know, 2,000 years in the future, we're going to get yeah. nuked and uh, angels are going to come. It's like, it's so good. 
Well, you know, oh, and like, then going quick, back. Quick, quick tangent about that. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, in Japan, it's very easy to start a religion. They don't, you know, like... Um, Huh. They don't really put much restriction on it as long as you just like you, you file your paperwork and you know <laughs> everything's in order like you can start your own religion um, and that's why they have so many uh, interesting you know I guess people call them cults and it, mm-hmm. there was famously like the uh, the cult that did the sarin gas attacks and stuff but there's a lot of other just weird offshoots obviously not as deadly as that but um, I, I wonder if that maybe uh, trickled down into the game a bit that um, you know in Japan it's not like uh, yeah, like there, there's uh, most people are probably uh, Buddhist, uh, overlapping with Shinto, uh, less than one percent Christian. But then there, there's so many interesting little like niche religions out there, and yeah, it's they can just like mix and match. I think um, I, there, there's a really good uh, blog post on. Um, uh, we'll we'll link to it. Um, it's about how a lot of the Megami Tensei games are play off of this theory that like the Japanese are the lost tribe of Israel. <laughs> like that's like <laughs> a know that. belief. Like there's some people that truly believe that. And um yeah, you know, then that suddenly like that adds another uh, wrinkle to the plot of like uh part four, right? Where where the, the new kingdom of God is established in Japan, right? The angels save everyone there. Right. They exist outside of the world. Um they really dig deep for like like they're not pulling it out of thin air. Like they, they, these are people who are just very interested in in real life cultures and subcultures. Like they, they, they have deep frames of reference for all this stuff. Oh, I think you were the one that tweeted it a while back, or you retweeted it about how like there's like a shrine where it, it states that this is where Jesus came. Like after pretending to die on the cross, he actually moved to Japan and like oh, yeah. back as a farmer and died here. It's like yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a weird thing to think. Like, yeah, he crossed oceans and somehow made it to Japan. He, he faked yeah. it all. He just wanted to die a farmer. He was good. Yeah, yeah. here's the final resting, the true resting place of Jesus Christ in Japan, of yep. course. Yeah, um, uh-huh. th- there's even a theory. Um, just riffing off of that, uh, th- there's a theory that some people really are into about how um, Jesus like settled in in India, and he, he, w- he was a monk named Indra. And uh, there's a <laughs> historical monk. The timelines match up. The guy was even known for having like weird markings on his uh, feet and his hands. Uh, and, uh, there's a whole theory that like yeah that, that Jesus was actually a Buddhist monk because he he w- uh, would have been taken by the wise men and that would have corresponded with um, you know wise men from the east, right? Uh, uh, China would have been the major culture there. Buddhism would have been established. Um, and uh, a lot of the customs, like uh, praying out loud, and uh, the custom of like looking for reincarnations of uh, important people, and it, it's fascinating. <laughs> it's really fascinating all the stuff you can look into. Um, yeah, like it, even, in real even life, in the Bible. Yeah, even in the Bible, there's like a time skip of like when Jesus was a child and says just comes back as an adult. Yeah, that's really the into that. That's the theory yeah, that he just... went he went east and learned uh, qigong abilities, like walking on water. <laughs> <laughs> he and became he a, like a, became a Nanto Shinken, uh, like a Fissa North Star Warrior or something. Yeah, you, you, pra- oh. you just practice Gong Fu in, uh, in the Far <laughs> East. Yeah. There, oh. There's even interpretations of the Bible where they're like, they split Jesus into two people because you can interpret shit. it that way. Right? Oh, shit, it's like Persona 1. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and I think um, 
I think that's what the games are riffing off of. Like, I, I you know, I, I imagine if, if maybe if you're not used to people uh, treating religion as they would just like mythology, like these games could be sacrilegious to you. But, um, you know, I, I think they're just kind of riffing off of uh, actual historical interpretations of all these various belief systems. Like people have wildly varying interpretations of holy texts. And, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's so great that they can approach it objectively and be like, these are the interesting things from this, and we're yeah. presenting it to you now in this like this form, and in this like entertaining form and educational form. And I yeah. always love that every, every game has a demon compendium that gives like a small blurb, blurb about where each demon comes from and what their story is about, so that you can look at it and be like, I want to know more about you know what's what's the deal with Jack Frost? I'm going to look up Jack Frost. And then yeah. you find like images of the DreamWorks Jack Frost instead. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're they're weird foray into like uh, Final Fantasy K-pop aesthetics. <laughs> yeah, what a strange film. But um, okay, let's. <laughs> it got me tense. It got me tense. I wanted to mention, like, we were talking about how uh, going back, how like SMT two is law, and that's Nocturne is a uh, very chaos. Like, if everyone is the whole world is reoriented to be chaos. Yeah, I feel like to me, like that kind of makes more sense because it's always strange that so the traditional chaos bent. In um in the other games is that you know might is right like you are your own individual and you know you make your own path. Yeah. It kind of makes more sense to me that chaos is that all about like power is truth, and that even the angels are all about that because it makes sense. They always they always force order through strength. Yeah. So it, it makes sense to me that angels could be chaos in in that element. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's why I, it made sense to me like oh yeah so that's why the angels in Nocturne follow the order that Hikawa creates uh, forgetting the name of it exactly but it's about like the, the power to, to rule it's like yeah of course angels follow that oh yeah that's right um in nocturne they actually didn't they get rid of the 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 three uh alignments nocturne is more oh, about just like general choices right it, it's not specifically like oh your alignment is this now right yeah it's, it's the the it's the premise is that the the four or five people that survive they, 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 they're the only ones in the world that can create a reason. And the, the reason is, the, so in their universe, the, I'm blanking on the exact the term of it, but the, there's like a moon that's in the center of their vortex world. That's Tokyo that, that wraps itself in. Yes. You know, oh my God. The inverted Oh, there's world. so much lore. Oh. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and so he will only acknowledge like the, 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 the reasons that these humans create. And so the one that created the whole situation, Hikawa, he's a, uh, his is based on on order. Mm -hmm. Even though I said it's based on power before. Sorry, but he's actually based on like he's like maybe the law. Now that I think about it, he's more the law of that world because mm -hmm. he, he wants things to follow a certain structure, but he rules it entirely through strength, and that's why one follows him because they acknowledge that. And maybe that that makes more sense why angels would follow him. Yeah. And me meanwhile, my favorite was uh, the one where it's all about power. It's the one that Chiaki later uh, takes on. I think it's um I think Gozu Tenno is the original creator of that reason. And then, and he he did, he invites you to his temple, and like he's the one that has Thor in his uh, faction. And so once you defeat Thor, he goes, yeah, no, come on up, you're 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 good, you're one of us now. And I love that he he gives you a power up. He's like, you know, I like you, Demi Fiend. I'm gonna give you like you know, here's like you know, 10, 10 HP up or whatever. <laughs> like, and then and all the demons that follow him about like you know root strength like Onis and stuff are usually following him. I think. Sorry if I'm butchering this. It's been like a decade since I played this game. And no, it's all good. It makes, yeah, and then your other friend is all about like, oh, I don't want to be with anyone. I just want to be alone, be my own little silo. 
And like he's such a pathetic character that like he even he steals the reason of someone else that came in because he yeah. couldn't think of something original. Yeah. And then my favorite was um, your teacher. She actually she's the she's the Megami of this universe. Like her face gets taken over by like a god, another god, and she's like, no, let's revert, let's bring things back to normal. I'm sorry, I fucked everything up. And I thought that was really unique that there's this is that's a neutral route. Like this weird face hugging monster is is the one designing that. It's like ah, oh, it's so good, man. Nocturne is it's such a unique unique worldview it's it's so unique especially to smt how like they went so hard on like this this is the universe these are the rules and hey there's dante too why not so don't make it <laughs> yeah i think i feel like so this is this is dmc2 dante too so he was the one that everyone didn't like because he was like kind of lame and didn't have personality i'm oh, sorry the like by fans but no i'm sure they agree with me oh, no, and then I mean, everyone hates part two like uh, <laughs> i thought um visually the game was amazing though like the, the art yeah. for awesome yeah and his jacket's really cool and that's why i, I like like how nocturne like uh restored his honor like because he's <laughs> a really cool character like yeah. his introduction is he jumps off the building like he did in um i think he did in two maybe where he yeah. in one of the cutscenes when he just jumps off a building like and then he, that's how you confront him he's like hey what's up and he just, just starts fighting you and then the best part is in nocturne you can climb up that building they jump off of and you can jump off yourself yeah. Like just just try it, and if you do, all your demons and you go down to one HP. Like, does that mean like the Dante was he like was he was he crippling when he fought you? Was he, like, did he give you a handicap like that, or is he just just so cool that he can survive that? Like, yeah. I love it. So yeah. it's so good. Yeah, I love that they use the language of video games like that for the storytelling. <laughs> uh, what yeah. what's the term for that? Um, Ludo narrative, Ludo uh, something like that. Oh, oh, um, Ludo narrative dissonance. Are you, are you talking about this? <laughs> yeah, I feel like the the games the games absolutely don't have that. <laughs> yeah, there's, the there's nothing in the game. Nothing. No mechanic in the game goes against the themes. Like it, it's got total consistency. So I also love that um that that uh okay. So Lucifer, well, spoilers, turned you into the demi fiend by implanting like a I forgot what they're called. The, the magatama. Little, the the magatama. Yeah, he put it into you. So. I don't know, like, I don't know what canon is, but to me, it always looked like it was going into his eye or something, or like. Oh or yeah, was... yeah. In in the cutscene, it it seems as if it's going into your eye. Yeah. Yeah, but other people just assume that you ate it or something. So I don't huh. know what canon is. I just assumed his eye, and that's why when I draw in my fan comics, he's just shoving it into his eyeball. But oh, nice. Yeah. Like I was, I love that. Good like, touch. so for me, that was one of my earlier, uh, not influences, one of my earlier uh, time seeing the Magatama this shape. So later, seeing in um, in Phoenix Wright, like uh, Maya, she she has one on her chest as like her her just part of her outfit. Or actually, no, maybe has some spiritual meaning. I forgot now. But I was like, oh, oh yeah, hey, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> like there it is again. <laughs> and you know, later finding out, oh, it's just important Japanese cultural, you know, uh, all of it. Actually, I, I forgot. Do you know what 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 meaning it has? Yeah, it's um. So it's. Uh, for the the listeners, if you want to, if you can't Google it, uh, <laughs> Magatama is uh, it's like a little. The shape is like half of a yin yang almost, but mm -hmm. but it's also I don't know. It's more rounded off. It almost looks like a fetus. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's this uh, uh, interesting shape that they find find in a lot of really ancient Japanese uh, uh, just ar remains architectural. Or not architectural, sorry. Um, just like archaeological remains, they dig, they dig up these, um, these like little jade, uh, 
I don't know. What would you even call them? Like sometimes they're like a, beads. They're like jewelry sized. Um, I I don't actually know uh, if if I don't know if they know exactly what the meaning is. Okay, so they're from prehistoric Japan. Uh, they're from the uh, Joma, Jomon culture. That's like one of their um, uh, major. There's the Jomon and Yamato cultures, right? Uh, Jomon culture where they had little figures Jomon. that look like a like Huitzil from a Dark Stalkers. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah I, think, I believe so. Yeah, I think those are from. Um, yeah, yeah, the Dark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so they were decorative jewelry and functioned as ceremonial and religious objects. Uh, yep. so you're right like maybe it has meaning that people don't really know maybe there's specific meaning yeah all we know is that's more cultural um yeah i mean they show up in a lot of uh a lot of anime and manga right like if 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 oh yeah if you see someone wearing it it the connotation is like you know it's spiritual or they they are very ancient or they follow uh, something very ancient you know well, uh, i think i think do you remember Blue Seed, the anime? Yeah, the logo yeah, yeah. also. Yeah, yeah, yeah that. it was in the Blue Seed logo. Um, <laughs> I want to say it was in Last Blade. Maybe. Yeah. I, I swear surprised. there was a Megatama, like the last, something to do with the last boss. Um, but yeah, but in 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 uh, Megami Tensei three, yeah, it becomes this little creature, um, which, you know, like I I mentioned, like it, it kind of looks like a fetus actually. And then yeah. I, I wonder if they they had the same thought and just like went <laughs> went with that. Yeah. It, it, so I used to think that it was like a small little fetus creature too, but then when I saw like when the when the Kazuma Kaneko collected works came out, there's like you know full on illustrations of it. It's just like a weird tapeworm, like a weird parasite. Oh yeah, it's like it's, yeah, it's an insect. It loops. Yeah, that loops in on itself the the shape. It's like mm -hmm. so I was drawing. I remember I was drawing the book and I had to actually. Um, Redraw it for later reprintings to make it into a tapeworm shape to make it more accurate. Oh, nice! You redrew it. I just drew a fetus. You wanted to be totally uh, true to the source. I gotta be uh, canonical. Yeah. <laughs> it it reminded me of the sword from Maka and X. Actually, do you, do you remember oh, that? Oh yeah. The the body jacking sword that also had like a weird fetus thing going on. It had a really hideous face when you see its true form. <laughs> Is this at the end or the beginning? Um, I've only played like the first two levels or so. I think you see it at the beginning, because mm -hmm. um, you find out that like oh you know it it looks like just this really interesting geometric sword, um, and then it has like that spiral pattern on it. Uh yeah, it's got a spiral pattern, but then um it's actually just housing like a weird living creature inside, uh, and it's. I don't even know how to describe this thing. Uh, it's it's like a tentacle. It looks like a tentacle, maybe. Imagine like a, oh. a tentacle, and then um, it has like you know an eye and an ear and a mouth, but they're just not in the right place. <laughs> it's like it's Actually, like that's... the 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 Beharite, uh, from Berserk kind of like it's, <laughs> the features are not in the right place at all. Now that you mentioned it, I think the main character kind of has like her hairstyle is kind of like a Magatama. Like, oh yeah, she's got that sweep. That yeah, so yeah, it must be a yeah maybe a reference. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's dig into the uh, the trailer, the, the Megami Tensei oh, 4 right. trailer. <laughs> that's right. Okay. 
Okay, let's say. Um, oh, maybe maybe if people are listening and they they want to avoid spoilers, they can just jump right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot, that's a long time skip. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, we'll. we'll uh, yeah, uh, I mean, we we already kind of covered a lot of it, but um. Go, so go, one thing go I really like liked is that um so so the main illustrator for Megami Tensei now is uh Doi. I, I forget his first name, but um so he comes from a fashion background. Oh really? Uh, okay. Uh, Masayuki like, Doi. Yeah, Masayuki Doi. So well, he well, I mean, starting out, he originally worked on. Uh, I think his first job was in the Persona Two PSP games, where he had to read. So okay, so this is an interesting legacy. The original Persona Two, the character illustrations, like the bust-up illustrations, mm-hmm. were drawn by uh, Soejima, and that's mm-hmm. why they looked so different from Kaneko's art, whereas the yeah. key art was Kaneko. And yeah. so, like, it's, it's interesting that the next passing of the torch is like in the PSP remakes or the ports of the Persona Two. Now Doi was the one redrawing. The 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 Toyojimar. But anyway, mm. so now that Doi is the, the the successor, he comes from a fashion design background. And I remember in interviews, he was talking about how when he was uh, designing the samurai outfits, um, he took all the elements of like materials, uh, like what would look good, what what's accurate to to get a certain look and feel. And mm. it was so accurate that um, when Atlas was hiring uh, co- companies or someone to make cosplay for for like E3 or you know Tokyo Game Show, that the people that are designing the, the the samurai outfit for them like when they contacted doi like he had like you know they're like oh what do you think what kind of material what do you think about this like doi actually gave specific notes on like okay this is the material that this is made out of this part is you know made of like you know harder material this is more of a softer material so that when the company came back uh they said oh oh you're you know what you're talking about oh okay sorry we'll stop bullshitting you now mm-hmm. nice but yeah, so it's interesting that Doi, since he comes from the background, his uh, his clothing is very elaborate and very uh, specific, and, and there's a reason to everything. And that's why I noticed in SMT5, um, the protag, his high school uniform, has the beautiful uh, flower embroidery. I'm not sure exactly what flower it is. It's a lily. Oh, it's a lily. Okay. Yep. But and it works. It's it's so unique and so simple, but it really makes you go, oh, that's unique. That's that. You know, that's Megami Tensei now. It's like it's yeah, beautiful. It, it works so well. Um, I mean, if 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 I just described it to you, you know, like okay, it's a Japanese school uniform and it's covered in white lilies. You're like, okay, whatever. But the specific execution of it is so Megami Tensei, like how it's um, it's like just on the cusp of being too much, you know, like it's almost <laughs> too many flowers, but it's not. It's still so like tasteful looking. It's 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 awesome. It kind of reminds me of uh, like. The Raido Kuzunoa games and Raido 2, they mm-hmm. they call back to the era. I forget what era of Japan that is, like the Meishi era or something, or, or the Taisho uh, era. Taisho, uh, I think that's Taisho. Taisho. Yeah, and they, they have that that like you know specific like flower imagery of like it's very icon. It's like an icon oh, almost, sure. but then yeah, and then they have like their little wispy clouds and like oh if you if you take a look at screenshots of like uh, Raido one and two, they're they're demon screens. They they use that element like as a as a UI and so beautifully integrated into everything. It's mm-hmm. like that game is is so gorgeous. But I love that they they're taking that kind of idea and applying it to their clothing for SMT five. And yeah. It, it feels like it's part of the world. Like it's like, oh yeah, of course the protagonists wear that. And it's what I find interesting is also like compared to the Persona series, where uh Soejima, his his clothing is very like it's very uh not graphic, but it's unique and like it's it's in the modern world, like it's it's in, yeah. it's a clothing that people would wear. Meanwhile, like the the SMT five school uniform is very much like, oh no, this is what um, 
a Mega Ten world would would have. It's like it, it feels so different. It's great. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that it does feel like something from an older era, but I, I can't put my finger on it because it also feels like something off of a fashion, you know, high fashion <laughs> walk walkway. But and yet it has that Taisho feeling too. And that's why, like, I feel like Kaneko's old designs would do that like all the time. He'd find influence in like high fashion or bondage and just throw it together with his interests. And yet that that's how he made it like you know unique, timeless looks. Like all the characters in SMT two, their outfits are like. You know, bondage, fantasy, hi-fi, sci-fi looks, and it's like I, I feel, I'm feeling a little bit here too. It's, it's nice. Yeah, he. I can't. I mean, I would have if I didn't know anything about their bios. Like, if you just looked at their art, you, I think it would be easy to assume that Kaneko is the one with the fashion background, but he actually is the one that started off um, in in anime, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah. that's wild. Man, I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to be in the industry to to be an expert on it. Like, you could do a lot of research on high fashion and stuff too. Oh it's yeah, all yeah. Friends. Yeah, yeah. He definitely, man. He he taught himself <laughs> really well. <laughs> His work. Something I love about it is it, it always looks um. It it always looks like something you could wear, and he he goes out of his way to make it look like. Uh, you know, like even his personas feel like people wearing really elaborate clothing, but in a good way, right? Because, because yeah, it's 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 a drawing. You you can give it insane proportions. You can make it totally cartoony or unreal, uh, and yet by making it look like a really good drawing of a person in a really good costume, it gave it like an even more <laughs> otherworldly quality. Yeah, it grounded it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's he, true. Oh, you, I, I, I just remembered he did uh, the devil triggers for Devil May Cry 3. I, I think they sort of had like yeah. a trade-off, right? Because Dante yeah. appears in Megami Tensei, and then they brought him over to, you know, do the devil triggers for, for um, maybe the most beloved game in the series. Um, and those, yeah. they were so cool. They were so weird. They were so different. And now that those are basically the, what the, the building, oh, that was my line. Yeah. Yeah, they like, felt like that's what. Yeah, like that's what they're all now based off of. Like that—that's what his double trigger forms are. Like, uh, what's uh, Dante's brother's name? I'm totally blanking right now. Uh, Virgil. Uh, yeah, Virgil. He had that. Uh, his sword was encased in his arm. Like, yes. he had the sword. Part. It's so good, yeah. and like they. Bring, no they one did that, that back now. Yeah, it's yeah. so cool. I love. And Connect also. Oh, sorry. Oh sure. Uh, it's just he gave him this like high fashion super sentai feeling, <laughs> um, but then he did something really weird where like their costumes just go into bare feet, so yeah, I, it just works. Like I, I just don't question it. It just it, it it's perfect. <laughs> it's so good. If you want if you want to see similar kind of elements, uh, design elements like. I think around that time he was working on Digital Devil Saga one and two, oh, and so yeah. all all their ah, demon forms awesome. kind of had that like, especially yeah. the bare feet. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's like Dante and Virgil. Bare feet, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, I, that they that could, series is so games. underrated. Yeah. Oh gosh, I yeah. hope they bring that back. I really hope they bring those games back too. Yeah, yeah like, we, the, uh, the, the, like the the uh, those games they had that beautiful. 
is it Hindu mythology that they? It was very in? Hindu. Um, yeah. That yeah yeah. If if I think you were talking about Soul Hackers before, right? That was very like Native American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this game was very, very, uh, you know, Vedic and Hindu, and uh, all the cities were based off of the uh, chakra points on the body. Yeah. Yeah, and then the the opening of the game is, um, it's also very Buddhist. There's a lot of overlap. Uh, I remember the opening cinematic, uh, it opens with, you know, uh, there's this black lotus appears, and all that energy shoots out and mutates everyone, and mm. they, they, they play a, a sutra appears over the screen. It's a Omani Padme Hum. Uh, it's just like a Buddhist sutra that people have been thinking on for like hundreds of years. What is the true meaning of this sutra? And the funny thing is, um, when that game came out, my my family's Buddhist. Um, my my father's friend had just taught me that sutra. <laughs> like he was really into the sutra. Great timing. Like, hey, hey, like hey, kid. Like if you you know if you ever like. Uh, need some energy or you, you, you know you want to like make yourself feel better say this and then he uh, you know he had like a ring with that inscribed on it and then it like appeared in this game i was like holy crap like the universe is telling me <laughs> to like play wait, keep playing wait, megami tensei so your uncle or your friend or wait he just came over and said hey kid you want some mystical energies <laughs> say, say these sutras yeah here's five little five words or you know here's a hundred words that will give you magical energy healing <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah, no, no, it's great. Um, I mean, this was in Thailand. Yeah. That, that's that's okay, not yeah. entirely uncommon <laughs> in in Thailand. Very, very Buddhist country, and uh, pe- people love to have fun uh, with the religion. People like to like uh, collect like uh, charms. Um, pretty, you know, the uh, temples uh, give out like charms. Monks have like limited edition charms. It, it's it's almost <laughs> exactly like collecting gashapon or toys. Uh, people <laughs> trade them. Um, you know, each one gives you like different uh, wards, protects you from stuff, or has you know a good fortune for something else. It's 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 fascinating. Oh, speaking of that kind of thing, when I visited Japan uh, three or four years ago, I got a ward for uh, safe technology because I was having a lot of trouble with my work computer always crashing or freezing. Oh, yeah. So I got a little magnet ward, and I was able to. And when I stuck it on my work PC. It, Sure enough, it worked. It was some what? <laughs> yeah, it sounds ridiculous, but like it stopped crashing, it stopped getting freezes. It, it, you know, maybe it was just good timing, but like whatever, yeah. it worked. Yeah. Okay. But back, back to Megami Tensei Five. Oh my gosh! Like I, I've actually been writing an analysis of this trailer for the last uh, week, and originally oh, wow. I just thought, I, you know, it's it's a short trailer. I was like, oh, I could do this in one night, and then like everything I started writing about opened like another rabbit hole and another one and another chakra. one. <laughs> oh my gosh like um okay you, I, I i'll give you one example right okay okay so um the 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 trailer right off the bat the, the god is dead right and you see mm-hmm. you see lucifer right mm-hmm. and um you know uh that, that's the version of lucifer from uh megami tensei uh two uh mm-hmm. and uh the art is um the first thing i thought of was uh some Gustave Doré prints, you know, like he did. He did uh, the. Uh, he, he was an amazing engraver, and he he did some prints for, um, you know, for the Bible, for for uh, Dante, uh, the um, Divine Comedy, uh, Paradise Lost, um, and there, there's one from Inferno, uh, a very famous print of Satan in a frozen lake chewing on sinners, and he's got six wings, and he's got the horns and the that wild hair. Um, I, I thought that was the inspiration for the design. 
and then I looked into that more, and then I found like there's an even older artist um, by the name of uh, g- give me one second, <laughs> one second, uh, Cornelius Galle or Galle. Um, sorry, I, I'm, uh-huh. I'm not great with U- European names, but uh, there, if you look it up, look up Lucifer Cornelius Galle. Uh, yeah, this print looks so much like the Megami Tensei art. Um, and it shows, you know, it's a full body shot of uh, Lucifer, like in, in hell, right? And he's, he's chewing on sinners. And then there's a really interesting detail. There's like a circle radiating out of his, well, his crotch. <laughs> and there's <laughs> sinners floating all around it. And I found out canonically, according to um, medieval Christian texts, uh, yeah, the, the Catholic Church was actually quite, good at science like a lot of scientific advancement came out of the church back then they, they believed in a round earth and gravity and they believed that lucifer's penis was the center of the entire universe and that once you cross it gravity reverses so that's why everyone's uh-huh. flying around like is uh, is nuts <laughs> it's, it's yeah so looking at the, looking at the the illustration of the woodcut or whatever it is now and yeah they're just floating around like an lcl around his balls it's great yeah, yeah, it, it, and it, 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 yeah, you re- it, it looks totally like a end of Evangelion too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it relates to so many different things, and, and and then oh my gosh, like um, so I was looking into that, and then I was like, oh okay, he's in front of Tokyo Tower, and then I just like did a quick search on Tokyo Tower, and then I found out, did you know it was a radio tower? I oh, didn't yeah, know that. Long time. Yeah, I, I um. Apparently, it's like it, it's a giant radio tower, like NHK and all the major networks flow through there. And uh, the reason they built it was um, they didn't want to have a ton of radio towers in Tokyo. They just wanted one giant one to cover, you know, <laughs> just to cover the whole region. And it was like the tallest structure in the whole country up until a few years ago. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it's like the modern tower of Babel. Like it's literally uh, like the tallest thing in the country and like all this information flows through it. And you know, that's like awesome. They're like what a great place for Lucifer to stand in front of it and say like, God is dead, everyone. <laughs> oh, then, yeah. Go on. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I, I was just looking that up. I was like, oh, my God, like, I never made that connection. It's so obvious. And then suddenly I was like, oh, like, I think a lot of anime that references it, like, the, it's conscious of that connection. And then kept Googling it. I even found, like, uh, I found some slides from a Japanese Catholic sermon where a priest had combined an image of Tokyo Tower with uh, that famous Bruegel painting of, you know, the Tower of Babel. <laughs> and so, like, this is, like, a known thing. So, like... Yeah, that was like a conscious call out. Okay, and then on top of that, <laughs> I found out that apparently, like, I don't know, in like the 50s or 60s, somebody in Japan proposed that they actually literally build something called uh, Tokyo Tower of Babel. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy proposed that this was a project that would take a hundred years to complete, and he wanted to make a mega city. That was a giant uh-huh. tower, and it would just be the biggest structure ever <laughs> in the history of the world. In the 50s? Like, like 50s or 60s. Like there's like oh, wow. black and white photos of like his, his layout plans. And it, uh-huh. uh, people cited as like this was one of the most ambitious architectural projects ever proposed because it's not total science fiction. Like this guy 
did the engineering work. He was like, it would work like this. It could house, you know, 30 million people could live in this building. And it's like this insane project. Um, and then I was like, that's like, you know, that's like the golden city in, in the Megami Tensei <laughs> games. It's like all this stuff. It's so fun. It's so fun to look into this stuff. Um, yeah, that was just one rabbit hole. That that's why, that's why something that I thought would take like two hours turned into like thirty. <laughs> it's been like thirty hours, and I'm still like finding new crazy stuff. Um, but but that's why I love these games. Like, uh, you know, I I don't know for sure if uh, all the stuff that we interpret is a hundred percent what they were thinking, but um, it's still very much in in the spirit of the games themselves, right? It's all about like taking inspiration from real life and just like riffing on it, just seeing where that leads you. Um, I feel like uh, as a game developer, it's like when, when it, even if you're not thinking of it, like if it does happen, it's like, oh, that's a really happy coincidence. And it works with what we're going with. Like, so it's fine. It, all fan analysis is, is great. Like as long yeah. as it's helping support the idea and, and it works, you know, why not? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I think uh, we, we, we should probably wrap stuff up. You got you got a busy day ahead of you. Uh, really, really appreciate yeah. <laughs> you taking the time out for this podcast. Um, maybe uh, can, can you I tell us some about... shout outs or something? Yeah, yeah do oh, some sorry. shout outs. Talk about like what projects you're working on. And, and please tell everyone about like, you know, where they can follow you online on your, your Twitter, your Tumblr. Yeah. So I go by Persona Sama on everything pretty much like Twitter, Twitter. Uh... I have an old website I don't really update. Oh, but I have a Tumblr, personasama.tumblr.com. I also don't update that. Um, Black and I used to run dailyomega10.tumblr.com where we updated like nearly every day with new Mega 10 content. But that's also nice. been like five or six years since, or maybe longer than since we've updated that. But um, do, you, do you think you'll make any new updates? <laughs> with the, I don't know. Like no one uses Tumblr anymore. It's all Twitter based. So yeah, yeah I don't know. Like. And also, Black has been she's now uh, they're really into uh, the the Final Fantasy VII Reeve. Like I don't know why. <laughs> oh wait, uh, do you want to do a quick dive into that? Just just as a tangent. So, do you remember sure. Reeve from Final Fantasy VII? Reeve? Yeah. What What do you mean? The character. Uh, I I I don't. Was he one of the Shinra guys? Yeah, he's one of the executives of Shinra. He's like the okay. most normal looking one. So, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't really. I, I just looked up a picture of him. He, he, yeah, he, he's like a John Wick looking dude. <laughs> in yeah. the original game, he was a uh, the pilot of Kate Sith, like a uh, Ketchi. Uh, he controlled Ketchi, and then that that too was a uh, infiltrated oh your party God. and guided you to places. That. I totally. Yeah. If I knew that, I totally forgot that. Uh, it, like it's mentioned like a couple times, but like yeah, no one remembers okay. that. And in the remake, uh, they super beautify Reeve, but also like, so that's why Black got into into the character. But then looking it up, we found out that basically Final Fantasy VII, every single plot hole is attributed to Reeve now. <laughs> like, so like, yeah. you know, who made the Mako reactors? Oh, Reeve did when he was a teenager. Like, what? Yeah. Like, also like, how does how does Ketchy work? Um, is it a robot? Like, because everyone thought it was just a remote control robot. Nah, mm. it's uh, Reeve has psychic abilities and he's able to bring life to inanimate objects. So oh it's a the catch. The, he psychically like it also it has its own sentient mind. So you can control, doesn't have to control it all the time. It has its he own will. Can create new life. Yeah, but instead of you know doing something like you know taking over weapon and defending Shinra or, or defending the city, instead he wants to you know puppet a Scottish uh, cat with a little crown. Also, like 
he talked catchy talks in a super scottish accent but in their universe there is no scotland so so what's going on <laughs> Yeah. Where, where does the catchy even come from it's like he just made it up he just this is his persona now like he just wants to be a crazy scottish cat that gambles like it, 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 it's it's such a it's just like, something because, that he made up he's just like yeah oh, this is a funny way of talking like, <laughs> i don't I really to, fuck with so, these guys I'm, yeah it's like i'm tired of doing shinra stuff i'm gonna be a crazy cat now and yeah so like the more you go down the rabbit hole the more you realize like they had all these plot holes so they just let him do everything and wow. it's, it's so it's like and because uh, Black got so into it, we played Dirge of Cerberus recently. And Dirge of Cerberus is about Vincent being, you know, a Devil May Cry kind of style shooting yeah. character. But Reeve is a major character in that world. Like in that game, he's the he's the leader, the world leader of the the, the you know the rebellion or the the reconstruction efforts. And so he this, this side super super side character is now upgraded to like you know basically Vincent's best friend. And it's like sorry, Nick, it's like. Uh, anyway, yeah, that, that's a whole world of nonsense. If you guys want to do a deep dive into Reeve, yeah, yeah, we could, <laughs> dude. Let's, if, if you'd like, I'd love for you to come back and just we'll talk about well, you need, Reeve. You need to, you need to have Black on. Uh, Black could give you the whole spiel about that, why that would be great. Fascinating character. If, uh, if, if the the two of you could come on and uh, spread <laughs> the gospel of Reeve, uh, I, I would be uh, very into that. Basically, a uh, Reeve, uh, if, if he didn't exist. Shinra wouldn't have, you know, destroyed the world. He's actually the reason why the world is ruined. But that's why also in uh, Dirge of Cerberus, he's uh, bringing the world back. So it, it's all it's all coming together. Reeve is actually the most important character. He has to repent for his sins. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So he's God, yeah. the devil, and Jesus. <laughs> he is law, chaos, and neutral. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so anyway, besides that, um, you guys can check out Indivisible. It's a game that we at Lab Zero just released last year. The Japanese awesome version game. just came out, uh, I think, last month, and it has a full Japanese dub. We have so many uh, famous voice actors working on it. it it's, it's so weird to think, like, even on Skullgirls, the Japanese version, we've had, like, you know, uh, like, Jotaro as Beowulf. Or, like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, that's so crazy. And, like, yeah, they're, they're all there, and people are liking it. I'm glad, and I hope that you guys... Oh, and, you know, your fantastic work of Bidegg did all the NPCs in the background. So all yeah. the beautiful animated people in the back there. Oh, we had such all... a blast working on the game. That that was everyone was so excited to work on it, and and when they, it came out, like pe people were so proud of their work, um, especially because you know our, our companies, uh, we're we're a Thai company, and um, most people in Thailand don't get a chance to work on a cool like <laughs> game like that 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 they're really proud of, and that they can tell their friends like, hey, we worked on this. So, so yeah, that that was great. That was great. To, to be able to be a part of a, you know, a very passion-driven project like that. And you guys knocked it out of the park. It looks great, thanks to you guys. Oh, thanks. So I hope everyone checks it out and enjoys some uh, platforming Metroidvania-style uh, adventure with uh, fighting game RPG battling. It's such a weird niche genre fusion to, to describe. The battle system is totally unique. I, when I explain it to my friends, I'm like, uh, it's like Marvel assists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like if every character is a Marvel assist, then your character yeah, is yeah. the one who launches and combos. And... Yeah. Like, as yeah. soon as I thought about it that way, it, it really clicked. Yeah. Yeah, check that out. That's on Steam, uh, PS4, Xbox, uh, Switch. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so hopefully, once Skullgirls is still like the mobile game's going strong, there's going to be a new character added. I hope people will get excited about pretty soon. And uh, yeah, 
What about you? You got any cool things going on? Oh, um, oh, what? <laughs> let's see. Uh, we, we're <laughs> like we're working on stuff we're not allowed to talk about. Um, oh, of course. For our clients, but uh, we, we're also working on our own original game. Uh, very oh, excited that's... that we're yeah we're working on a. Um, uh, I can say it is a a, a turn-based strategy game with Mecha. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm uh, oh. really really excited to work on this. Um, yeah. Show later. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, yeah. I, I would li actually love to get your feedback on uh, some of the art that we have so far. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Besides that, um, I'm also. I just this morning I figured out how to do uh, you know VTubing, so I have a live 2D avatar now. Oh, what? Streaming with that. <laughs> oh, nice, <laughs> yeah. nice. Where, where, where can, uh, where can we watch that? Where... Oh, I just persona sama at Twitch TV or whatever the URL is. I, okay. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll put so, that in the link. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I mean, just follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is the main. If you yep. want to see all my uh, Sega. Also, I love that. Um, my two favorite things in the world: Sega and Atlas. It got fused together. They they demon fused together, like yeah. a couple of years back, and now have everything I love in one one Sega brand. It's it's great. It's like everything is going my way. Thank you right. so much for for being on the show, uh, everyone. Oh, please, thanks for having me. Uh, follow uh, John. Uh, you know, at Persona Sama. Um, just one word, Persona Sama. Yeah. So uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is the Art Eater podcast. Please subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, we're we're a weekly podcast. You know, we we do this every week. We pick a game and we bring on uh, you know people who are real passionate and knowledgeable about the game, and just dive into it. Uh, we're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Libsyn, uh, wherever you get podcasts. If we miss something, just let us know. And you can let us know on Twitter. That's the best place to uh, keep keep up with the podcast. That's at Art Eater Podcast. Um, and then I'm your host, Richmond Lee. You can follow me on Twitter at Richmond, R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D underscore L-E-E. Uh, we also have a website for long-form articles. That's how uh, all of this started. That's www.art-eater.com, arteater.com. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, and, and John, thanks, thanks for being on. Um, and everybody, uh, have a good one. Have a good one, guys. <laughs>